entering week seven, so this is entering this weekend's game. This is something that David Hale tweeted earlier this week. Wisconsin has not run an offensive play this year in which they've been trailing the entire season. Zero plays. The Badgers have never run an offensive play while trailing this season. Other teams have very few, like Oklahoma's at six. I think all six came last weekend after falling behind Kansas 7 now in the first quarter. Ohio State 7, Alabama 9 plays while trailing. Bunch of others in the teens into the 20s. But then you go look at the bottom. So Wisconsin at 0 is really remarkable in my opinion. But the bottom, UCLA has run UCLA has run 353 offensive plays while trailing this season. They've played 6 games. So they're 1-5. They've trailed in every game, obviously. Even their win, the Washington State game, they trailed for much of that game before the massive comeback. So they've trailed for almost the entirety of every game. That's nearly 60 offensive plays. That's what, 59 offensive plays per game while they're trailing. Go check out David Hale's tweet. It was on Tuesday early afternoon. Andrew Doughty here on the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. I'm going to have Mac Loudermilk on the show in a minute. Mac is the former UCF punter, gifted with those luscious hair follicles. And then, per usual, it'll be Chase Kitty with your Week 7 betting preview. College football, Week 7 on the High Motor Podcast. Mac Loudermilk on the High Motor Podcast, former UCF punter, now back in Georgia training, doing some coaching, doing some teaching. Mac, how is the hair doing? Uh, the hair is gone. That, that got snipped and donated, so right now I'm rocking a nice little uh, low fade with a two guard on top. See, I wasn't sure about that because that was part of, what was that, Locks for Love? Is that what it was called that you were doing that campaign? I wasn't sure if that was over or not. Right, that's still going on. Uh, there's still You can still donate to my GoFundMe page. I think the uh, the funds from that page get taken out every month and get sent to another uh, or get sent directly to the two locks of love actually, and so that's that's still going on. So Mac, I, I want to talk about a few things here. Uh, I mean, you had quite the interesting college career. You arrive in Orlando when George O'Leary, George O'Leary is there, coming off of that twelve and one season, your redshirt freshman season. That's when things kind of just get really bad on the field. You're going from thirty one wins over the last three seasons to zero in twenty fifteen. Uh, you know, basically, what happened that year? Um, I think we just kind of got too complacent. We thought that uh, we're the the biggest team in conference. Uh, our preparation wasn't what it needed to be going into that season. Um, I think kind of uh, having a lack of seniors on that team kind of hurt too. I think there was only, if I remember correctly, seven seniors maybe on that 2015 squad, and so uh, just having to rely on a bunch of younger guys to kind of pull the reins that didn't really help a whole lot, but. Uh, really just kind of came down to to us as players not doing our job, so to say. And then Scott Frost comes in, six wins the year later in 2016, and then the huge 2017 that got the attention of all of college football. Uh, do you feel like that 2017 team was deserving of being in that four-team playoff? Absolutely. I think any time you can go into a second year of a head coach and doing what we did with our defense and how our offense reformed, I think we're definitely deserving of a top four spot and a playoff chance. And then the whole national championship stuff, that created a lot of waves across college football. Where did you stand with all that national championship stuff? I know that after Scott, Scott Frost left, he kind of um, like half admitted that it wasn't, I can't remember what the exact quote was I should grab, but it wasn't real or whatever he had said. Where did you stand with all that stuff, and how do you feel like uh, most of your teammates stood with it? Um, my stance is we were the only team that year to go undefeated. Uh, we beat the team who beat Alabama. Alabama didn't even play for their conference championship. They didn't win a division, I don't think. 
So in my mind, you can't really be a national champion if you didn't at least win your division. And they didn't do that that year. And I have a nice big diamond ring that says national championship on it. And so I wear that thing with pride. Do you feel like that sentiment is shared throughout your team? Without a doubt. I think if you ask any of the players from that season, they they would 100% say the same thing as well. And then when you're rolling that season, it's very clear that Nebraska is going to move on from Mike Riley and Frost being the alum. Um, there were talk about him maybe getting snubbed last time around, that Scott Frost was obviously their target what was that like inside the locker room? And did he ever address that speculation during the season? Um, in the lot, we just we knew what our goal was for that season, so we we really had a a pretty did a pretty good job of just closing the doors from outside noise that year. Um, there we we heard the uh, rumblings and everything, and uh, we we had a thing called a, a leadership council where it was uh, a group of the team captains, and we met every week. And when we first started hearing things about it, we we approached. Co- uh, Coach Frost with it, and he, he just gave guys right now. I'm I'm not really worried about future jobs. I'm focused on this season right now, and so uh, we we took his when we we believed him. We took his word for it. I think what he said was true, but uh, you know we we kept playing for each other and for the coaching staff. We wanted to finish that season off right. When did you guys find out that it was official? Because I think it came down, I think it was, maybe it was during the American Championship game. I don't recall exactly when the news actually came out. Did you guys find out before that game that he was leaving? No, so uh, I think we, I remember getting on my phone after the uh, the conference game to where supposedly they had it on a TV timer to where once our game ended, it would roll across the bottom ticker. Well, that game goes into overtime, and it lasts longer than it's supposed to, but they didn't change the automatic TV timer. And so that starts ticking across the bottom when overtime's about to start. And so uh, we, we kind of had a feeling that it was, it was going to happen. And so, you know, before we all really got to uh, em- embrace the win, we, we gave Coach Frost a hug, and we had a huge team meeting afterwards where – he was in tears. Pretty much the whole coaching staff was in tears because he knew what he was leaving was going to be something special. But, uh, I, I, I mean, I understand his reasons for doing it. Um, as a coach's kid, you know, I understand wanting to move back home closer to your family so that your father can be with your grandson more playing and coaching for your alma mater. I mean, I, I totally understand what he did and why he did it. Going back really quickly to something that you said, so did you guys find out, like, on the sideline during that game, during overtime? No, uh, we didn't have – it was – once we got the conference championship trophy and all that, uh, that our, I guess that celebration kind of died down and went into the locker room, that's when we saw all the updates on our phones and all the ESPN alerts and everything like that. And then at what point, or, or did, I know that a lot of coaches, I don't know exactly know how uh, how it went down, so when, when Coach Frost, did he address the team at that time? Because obviously it was out there, unless it was just a completely false report, he was leaving for Nebraska. Did he address the team after the game, or did he wait? Because I know he left for Nebraska uh, pretty quickly and then kind of came back, and, and that was, uh, I thought that was handled brilliantly by both sides, let him go back and still coach the team. But how did that work in those I don't know like 12 to 48 hours after that game um that the night after the I think it was like at six o'clock seven o'clock that night after the conference championship game we had a team meeting to where he brought the whole team together told us what was happening and uh and he he broke down into tears and told us that he's sorry for doing this to us he never wanted to be a spot to be on him he wanted all the attention to be on the team and what what we're doing as a football team but uh you know he 
I think he was kind of remorseful that he took the job. Maybe I'd like to think that, but I think maybe he was a little remorseful afterwards. But uh, at, at the end of the day, I mean, he, he did what he thought was best for his family and for his coaches. And so, you know, I, I still I can't really be too upset at him for what for doing what he did. But he, he had a big team meeting, called us all in there, explained what had happened, um, why he was doing it. Like I said, he his main point was that uh, he wanted his son to be closer to his father because his, his father's health wasn't doing so well. And he wanted to make sure that his son got – as much time with his grandfather as possible while he was still on the earth. I'm sorry, I, I still I can't I can't frown at him for that. Hey Mac, I want to ask you about some off the field things for you. Starting with player compensation, I think you tweeted a few days ago. You just asked generally uh, if your followers thought that that student athletes should be paid. Why or why not? You just give a yes or a no. And you know, I want to ask you, you know, should do you think that student athletes should be paid money for playing, not stipends, uh, not just allowing you know profiting off image and likeness? Do you believe that student athletes should be paid money to play college sports? I think it has to be one or the other. And then again, I, I kind of left that question a little too open because I don't mean should should collegiate athletes make a living wage off of what we're doing? That is in no way should perform what I want. Because then it truly does become professional sports, and that's that's not what college needs. But what it does need is full ride. Don't get me wrong. Full, I am totally grateful for what the University of Central Florida has done for me and my education. Because if it weren't for them, I would have went to some community college back in Georgia and went through some two year uh, some two year program, and then tried to transfer out to some state university more than likely. But I think with what they ask us to do as far as they being the NCAA, what they ask us to do as student athletes, student athletes, not just athletes, but student athletes to where we go out and risk our bodies for what, like 14, 15 weeks out of the year, including bowl games and not including camp camps, a whole month in itself, the whole month of August. But uh, there's, there's gotta be some compensation sooner or later. Um, whether you do it off of jersey sales or whether you just pay every student athlete one flat rate across the board, that's totally fine with me. I'm not saying that football has to make $10,000 a semester to where whatever water polo is making $300 a semester, but there's got to be some type of compensation because my biggest fear is once these other leagues start getting rolling, let's, let's say if the XFL starts rolling, if another league like the AAF starts coming up, and you see all these different leagues like the big three, um, the big baller brand basketball league or whatever, kids could potentially start opting out for those leagues and then turning pro after that. And, but I think there's such a great atmosphere with collegiate athletics, and people are really afraid of what's, what would happen if money is introduced to compensate students. But I think it's going to have to happen sooner or later. There's going to be too much, too many states doing what Florida and California are doing to just ignore it that these students should be getting something kind of say thank you because a full scholarship is great and everything but the fact that we can't even go out and get a job more or less because of what we do in the classroom and on the field takes up our entire day we have we don't we get scholarships and we some we get cost of attendance checks which rolls around to be about four thousand dollars a year but trying to make $4,000 a year last through, you know, wanting to have some type of social life, gas money, grocery money, doing stuff on the weekends or any type of incidentals that comes throughout the year, $4,000 really isn't a whole lot to mess with. And But I just, I just think that it's not really fair either for the NCAA to make 
well, they profited what one point something billion dollars off of college athletics, but they only they don't really turn around and give to the players. They give to the universities, and the universities can then and do what they want to as far as you know their their gymnasium, stadiums, stuff like that. But the players don't really get some sort of payment. They just kind of get like a here here's here's a new locker room, thank you type of thing. Do you feel like, in your experience, I'm not asking you to make a broad statement and, and, and assume about other coaches, but I mean, you've had unique experiences um, playing for three different coaching staffs. You've been around, you know, dozens of of college football coaches in your career. Do you feel like, in your experience, coaches are on the same page with that? And I ask you that question because it feels like since the California bill came up, a lot of coaches are coming out and saying, "About time, we need to do this." And yeah, I. And this is just me guessing. I think a lot of coaches are very sincere with that. A lot of coaches want athletes to be able to make money off of their their name, their image, or likeness. But based upon their their past comments about you know player compensation, about stipends, transfers, uh, student athletes' rights, things like that, I can't help but wonder if that's just a talking point, and they're saying this for recruiting. They actually don't want to believe it. So, in your experience, do you think that coaches are on the same page with all of what you just said over the last few minutes? I think some are and some aren't. I I know Dabo Swinney came out and said earlier in the summer that if his, if college football players started making money, then he would stop coaching because then it would just be professional sports. Which I mean, that, I mean that's if that's his view, that's his opinion. But I, I think for the most part, there I don't think everyone would be on board with with what I said. I think some would say they are, just to say that they're agreeing with the players and to attract recruits and say, hey, man, I'm here fighting for you, when behind closed doors they probably aren't. But, I mean, it, it can go either way. I, but I think this, it, majorly, majoritively I think it would be siding with the athletes getting some type of compensation rather than just a full-ride scholarship. Have you ever or seen or heard of a player getting paid um, under the table or being offered payment in any form? Have I personally seen it? No. Have I heard stories of other universities? Yeah, plenty. Do you believe those other stories? Yeah, I do because uh, not to throw a college under the bus. So when I was growing up, uh, my dad had an O-lineman that played for him. And uh, I remember he he wasn't from a very – um, upper class family. He was more or less lower lower class, kind of struggling. And uh, he he rolls home after college one one at a break, and he's rolling in a, a big old brand new suburban with the school's logo on the front of it. And so you kind of have to understand. I mean, there's there's definitely stuff like that going on. But uh, you've all, my dad's also heard stories of offensive linemen at the universities making making close to six-figure checks just because they do what they do but that was those stories were again back from the early 2000s late 90s when stuff wasn't as closely monitored but I, I think it definitely happens at these bigger universities for sure do you feel like so now we're a year moved from your college career do you feel like you can talk more freely about things now now that you're not an active student athlete bound by by ncaa rules bound by university rules and other expectations i'm free to voice my opinion now i mean that that wasn't really I wasn't really hampered from doing that at UCF, but uh, it was just I I can kind of tweet what I want to now, say what I want to now without having the fear of let's say some some dean coming down on me saying hey you need to watch what you're tweeting out or something like that. I mean I'm I'm grown I I can say what I want, understand that what I say is going to have consequences, but uh, it's just that's just my opinion and I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to stick by it. 
Hey, Mac, last thing I want to ask you about the, the UCF Florida, the two for one series proposal that got a lot of tension over the last year. I can't remember exactly when that came down. And your former AD, Danny White, has repeatedly said that he would love your program to play Florida, play other high uh, profile programs like Stanford this year, but not in that, that two for one being the two away games, one home game format. Would you personally have been okay with playing two games at Florida or whatever high-level program, two games at Alabama, uh, two games at Clemson, whatever, in exchange for one home game versus that program? No, because that's disrespectful. So I I totally agree with what Danny White did. Um, I think if we were a struggling group of five team that doesn't bring in a whole lot of money for home games, then, yeah, two-for-ones would make sense. But now we've sold out. I want to say it was – we've – we make two million per home game easily, and so I think Florida can say that they offered us a two for one all they wanted to. What they offered us was two home games at at the Swamp and then a neutral site game at the Citrus Bowl. They didn't want to come to our home stadium, and to me, I just and then they want to go and and do a to do a one for one or a two for one with a West some team out west. I forget who it was. I saw it in the like two weeks ago that it, that got announced, but I just think. It's disrespectful. It's them kind of trying to show that, hey, we're, we're the bigger school here, so you got to do what we want to do. But whenever we're the team coming off of the two undefeated seasons, we have the national attention. Florida's right now, yeah, they're right now they're they're back up to where Florida used to be. But after last year and year before that, they were a lower end, middle of the pack SEC team. And so I just think they they kind of they they offered it to us as kind of like a bait saying we know that you're not going to take this but here it is but now we can turn around and tell the media oh we offered them a two for one but they didn't take it so they're full of it do you when did when did that change for you do you, do you feel like the 2017 season kind of changed everything for UCF in terms of like you said obviously UCF's not a struggling program and they had you know 10 12 win seasons before two years ago but then there are also that winless season uh like the six win season but do you feel like 2017 just kind of changed everything for the program I think 2017 kind of started it, but once last year happened and we did it again, ran the tables again, and we lost to LSU by what, eight points whenever we were expected to get blown out. But uh, I just I, it just shows that you have to play the football games. You can no longer say, well, Florida's going to win this game because they're an SEC team and this team's from the American Athletic because – Newsflash, the teams of the American Athletic, they're not bad football teams. Cincy's really good. Memphis is really good. Tulane's came out of nowhere. They're really good. SMU is pretty decent. You know, I mean, these teams that we played, they're across the board now. Everyone has D1 athletes. There's no such thing as a bad college football player who's on scholarship. I mean, you got these kids, they're they're all all state, all all region, all all whatever you want to call it from every state. But these kids are legit football players, no matter what school they're at. You cannot you can no longer say that just because the SEC team is going to play an American Athletic Conference team, that the SEC team is going to automatically win because they're the SEC. The SEC is just like every other Power Five conference. They have their one or two teams at the top, and everyone else below that is is just like every other football team. That's how every conference is. That's how college football is. You have your your two teams at top, two or three, maybe maybe two. Normally it's just one. You have your one or two teams at top, and then everyone below that kind of falls to the side. You mix and match with whoever they play about what's going to happen that week. Okay, that's Mac Loudermilk, former UCF punter, dropping by the High Motor Podcast this week. So, Mac, you're still training, right? Are you still waiting for that NFL call? 
I am. I am. Yeah, I, I train and lift every day. So what is? I guess where are you at with the NFL right now? I mean, I, do you still have an agent? I assume. Yeah, I do. Uh, my agents in contact with teams every week, just sending out my film, letting them know what I'm doing. I'm staying active for them. Um, I'm just right now. I'm just waiting for a call, waiting for a workout. And that's pretty much. Uh, have you had any workouts recently? I have not, not since Tampa, no. So what? what is your outlook there? I guess what's your level of optimism that that's going to happen? I'm still pretty optimistic because I have great film up that my agent has. Um, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm 100%. There's no injuries. Um, whenever a team needs me, I mean, I'm a phone call away, and I'll be, I'll be there. I only live an hour away from the Atlanta airport. So there's, there's no issue getting to them wherever they need me or when they need me. Awesome. Hopefully see you on the field this year. Hey, Mac, thanks for the time. Hope all is well uh, in Georgia and you get a shot here pretty soon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Earlier today, so we're recording this on on Tuesday night. Earlier today, Chase Kitty, my week uh, seven betting preview guy here, he proposed we were kind of going back and forth on what we wanted to talk about, what games, parlays, different strategies and stuff we wanted to bring you on this midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. Chase brought up Orioles Twins. He found out that I was a Twins fan today. I didn't even know he was an Orioles fan. I didn't care before and I don't care now. And his suggestion was Orioles Twins. One team that was out of the playoffs day one of the regular season and one team that was knocked out last night. How many of you, and I I want you to tweet at High Motor Pod or just go straight to Chase, at Chase AKD Twitter. How many of you out there came to the High Motor Podcast today saying, you know what, I want to talk about the Orioles and Twins? Anyways, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're not going to talk about I, I Orioles can't let Twins. My idea be slandered. Hold on, like I just this. need to. I need to not lose too many listeners here. We're not talking about the Orioles and Twins on this podcast. Chase is going to vent here for <laughs> maybe he gets fifteen seconds, and then we'll get into college football stuff. Yeah, I'm not trying to like. I I, I feel like you're 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 quoting me out of context here. I'm not trying to break down middle relief situations here. I'm not trying to get all like, hey, let's talk about each team's bobip stats. All I'm, it's a philosophical conversation for me. It's everything that I love about sports. What's more interesting? What, what's, what's funnier to you as a listener? Would you rather be an Orioles fan and know you're out of it on March 31st, know that you're going to have a terrible team, you're going to be god-awful, and just kind of have fun with it? Or would you rather be a Twins fan, have a fun regular season, hit a bunch of dingers, break the home run record, and then get smashed by the Yankees in like three days in October. Okay, how, and let's, let's make a deal here. Next time, you won't be on this Sunday, but next time you're on the Sunday of the High Motor Pod, when it's more of a general conversation, the midweek episode, as you know, as you've been doing for several weeks now, this is a college football betting part of the episode. So how about next time you're on a Sunday, we'll talk about that, but in college football context. Would you rather be a UConn fan or would you rather be a an Oregon fan? How about that? We could do that, but that was the whole thing. I just did the whole thing that I wanted to talk about. Okay, that, fine. So we won't even talk about it at all. Great. So we just knocked it all out. Anyways, so week seven kicks off, or it kicked off already, depending on when you're firing up this midweek high motor episode, on Wednesday with App State, Louisiana, and continues or continued with a couple of games on Thursday. But I'm going to go ahead and look at Friday night. Three games, only two of which I actually care about. Although the third, I think the third one is interesting in the hot seat conversation. Colorado State at New Mexico as Bob Davey, Mike Bobo, potentially uh, coach for their jobs at their respective schools. But anyways, the other two, Virginia and Miami, Colorado at Oregon. They're not premier can't-miss games, but two very, very intriguing games, midseason games, especially for their respective divisional races. And 
I'm not that surprised by the big line in Eugene, Oregon, minus 20. But Chase, I want to talk about Miami, Virginia. Miami is a slight favorite over Virginia, very slight. As of now, again, Tuesday night, it's Miami 1.5. So still a slight favorite there. Two things on this game that I want to ask you. One, the line itself, are you surprised by it with how good Virginia is this year and how much Miami has faltered? Are you interested in either that or the total of 45? And the second one, at that number, at 1.5, you're basically picking a winner, as you've talked about on the show before. I touched on this briefly last week with that small of a number. Does that small of a number scare you off, or does that hint at something for you? Not necessarily in this game uh, specifically, but just generally at 1.5, what does that tell you, and are you interested in this game? Uh, okay, a lot of a lot of directions there. Let me start. It's here. like a White House press briefing where it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, just one question, sir, and then five minutes later, and part D of part six. Yeah, of subsection B. Um, okay, so I, I think the place that I want to start is this is a really funky line, right? This this line smelled the moment I saw it, uh, and, and sometimes you look at a line and you think. Oh, that's a trap line. Like we've talked a couple times now about that Northwestern Michigan State game, where like it was it was just a trap line. Uh, and, and then other times I see a line and I'm like, I think that's just wrong. Like I looked at the Purdue season wins total, and we talked about this over the summer on a podcast, and I was like, I think that's just wrong. I don't even think that's a trap. It just seems off because uh, it was like seven and a half, and then of course Purdue is not going to win seven and a half games. I think it was we, eight or eight and a half. Yeah, it, it was like seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. And you and I both guessed that it should have been at like five and a half or six max. Anyways, go, uh, go back to what you were talking about. It, it, this just seems odd that Miami is a short home fit, even though it's it, it opened at one and it's up to now one and a half or two, depending on the book. Uh, that, that seems a little strange to me. Uh, so my gut instinct here right away is, is this is a trap line, you bet Miami or you stay away. But I just don't think, I I don't see how you could not bet UVA in the spot. I I almost have to bet UVA in the spot. First of all, they're coming off a bye, okay? So this is a team that has 13 days to prep for this game versus Miami, which has six. Uh, So right away, huge, massive advantage. Most of the time, uh, one of the one of these weeknight games, the home team has the big advantage because it's a short week for both, but the home team doesn't have to travel. This is a huge advantage for UVA because they were on bye last week. Well, Miami came off of that game where them and Virginia Tech just ran a billion plays. It took forever. So, it's, I mean, yeah, they, they played a regulation game, but that game was long. That game was exhausting. And it, it's just, it, it's a weird... It, I don't know what to do with this Miami team. You know, they looked they looked nice at the beginning of the year, but I saw a stat uh, over the weekend, and, and I don't have it in front of me. I'm not going to remember exactly what it is, but it was like Miami's record since the end of 2017, or since they since they since lost. they were rolling and they got into that playoff conversation. Yeah, and then they lost to like Florida State, or, or they went to Clemson, or something. And since then, they're like seven and seventeen, or something ridiculously bad. Uh, so I, I just don't know how you can lay points with Miami here. With UVA, I'm getting the better team. I'm getting the more rested team. I'm getting the more healthy team. I'm getting the way more consistent team. Uh, so I, I just I, I'm not super sold on the total just because it's already dropped two and a half points. And so I probably would like the under there, but it's lost some value since then. Two and a half points of a 47 point total. You can do the percentage there. Uh, that's not anything I want a part of. But yeah, I really think even though at first glance this maybe looks like a trap line, like I'm going to be on UVA Friday night. Chase, a few weeks back, I want to talk about parlays here, and a few weeks back you broke down 
the strategy and thinking of an even money or relatively even uh, parlay, why you like the idea sometimes and why a lot of sharps don't like the idea. So I want to ask you for a three or a 14 parlay that is around that even money that really gets the blood pumping in week seven. Sure. Uh, what I've got for you is Baylor, Notre Dame, and Vanderbilt parlayed together on the money line. This isn't spread. This is money line. Baylor, Notre Dame, Vanderbilt, all to win, minus 125. Uh, Vanderbilt is probably the tougher sell here, but I do think uh, they've played a pretty challenging schedule up until now, and now they're going to be at home playing against a non-Power 5 school. I I do think I've seen enough from them that I trust them to win in this one spot. Uh, So those are the three that I'm throwing together. Big one this week, Florida LSU. LSU is a 13-point favorite. Again, we're talking Tuesday night here. I think it's hovered between 12 and 13. The total on that game right now is 54.5. I was surprised LSU was at 13. I expected 8, 9, maybe 10. Uh, Where are you at with this game? Are you going to touch it? Uh, This is a tough grade for me because LSU, you know, since the beginning of the year, you know, people people look at how bad they beat Utah State last week. Utah State actually held them to their lowest point total of the year uh, at 42. They've scored, going back to the beginning of the season, 42, 66, 65, 45, and 55, right? So the, the LSU offense, as has been widely discussed by now by everybody in, in college football, the LSU offense is, is on another planet compared to what it's been the last few years. So I am interested from both a gambling perspective and just a straight football perspective in seeing LSU's offense playing against this Florida defense. Uh, the over, I think, was the first thing that caught my eye just because you know I tried to sort of fade LSU's offense thinking that maybe it would cool down a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. I believe that was the Vanderbilt game. That just didn't happen. Their offense is going to keep rolling. So the first thing I thought of is let's just blind bet the over. You know, LSU keeps cash on overs. But I wonder if Florida's going to hold up their end of the deal here. This is really the first big test that LSU's had defensively. Uh, I I think Texas was a big game for them because they had to go on the road uh, because Texas is is a solid team. But Texas's defense wasn't really going to challenge them. And I think Florida's could, even though this is in Baton Rouge. So it's tough for me to grade how all of this is going to sort out. This is probably a no play for me, but if I'm going to play it, I probably think about looking at the LSU team total when that comes out later in the week and looking at what the number is for that over there. In Baton Rouge, I think it's a 7 o'clock local kickoff, so 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock uh, Eastern time, and a lot of people are going to be tuning into that game. And after they do, looking at the schedule here, this will be the last thing for you because I know you are a very busy and very in-demand Man, I'm looking at the late-night games here. Hawaii, Boise State, Wyoming, San Diego State, Washington, Arizona. So after that Florida-LSU game wraps up, a lot of eyeballs will be turning to this. Uh, a lot of people may be looking to either make up for a loss or add on to a nice day before NFL games on Sunday. Any of those three games, those all start at 9 p.m. Eastern or later. So once that LSU game uh, is over, those will be moving a little bit here. Any of those games, again, Hawaii at Boise State, Wyoming at San Diego State, and Washington at Arizona. Those do anything for you? Yeah, I'd say the the one that I really like is uh, a counterplay on Wyoming and San Diego State. And that line started around 40.5, 41, sort of in that neighborhood. It's down to 37.5 at a lot of books. And almost on principle, I want to take an over there, not just as a counterplay, fading that, that line movement where you're getting excellent value on a line that's moved you know, 5 6 7% by now. Uh, so 
it's not just a counterplay. It's almost on principle a total that low, especially with teams that I know can score the ball, uh, particularly on the, on the Wyoming side. Yeah, over 37.5 in college football, I'm, I'm probably going to think about that. Uh, there's a decent chance I end up taking that. I also like Hawaii. Uh, I just I mentioned this on a on a podcast a uh, couple weeks ago. I just really like Hawaii this year. I think they've really impressed me in everything they've done. They're catching double digit points at Boise, and I think Boise probably wins the game because they're the more complete team. But I know Hawaii is not going to be afraid to throw the ball down the field. So in that particular game, I think the overs in play, and I think Hawaii plus multiple touchdowns. Uh, I think they're around plus twelve, plus thirteen right now, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. I think Hawaii is definitely an active dog in that. Big plans for the weekend? Going to hop on I-95, go north? Uh, actually, hopping on I-66 and going west. Uh, going to a wedding in Lynchburg and uh, probably going to try to hit uh, a little bit of the tailgate scene in Harrisonburg. Lynchburg, huh? Liberty University? It's it's outside of Lynchburg, so I don't have to go into you know the real central headquarters of Jerry Falwell and uh, his magical, mystical land. But, yeah, uh, Lynchburg. I've never been to Lynchburg before. I've been through it. I've been around it, but I've never, like, been stopped there. And a childhood friend of mine getting married, so we'll be down in Lynchburg. Great. We can talk about it. You'll be back next week on the midweek episodes. We'll talk about Lynchburg. We'll break down the week eight betting. We will maybe talk about UConn, Oregon in your context of Orioles twins that you were so dying to talk about. Or maybe you'll get out of your system a week from now. So week eight. That's halfway through the season. That's depressing, huh? That means halfway through the season after this weekend. Again, you'll be back next week along with another guest per usual. I'll be back on Sunday wrapping up week seven, looking ahead to week eight. That is Chase Kitty. Again, he's on Twitter at Chase A. Kitty. I'm Andrew Dowdy at a Dowdy 88 The pod is at High Motor Pod. You can find every episode of the High Motor Podcast on Apple, Overcast, Spreaker, Stitcher, everywhere you do your podcasting. Thank you for dropping by the High Motor Podcast this week. I will be back on Sunday. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in